So Jesus is alive. That was awesome. All right, y'all are awake. First service was like, I had to like go back and start over. So um, he was dead. There's no question about that. We know that he was physically dead. But now he has risen from the grave and he is alive. And so we're here this morning to celebrate that. Every Sunday we celebrate that. And today is a special marked day where we, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. So um, if you have a Bible, you can go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we will get there, I promise, eventually. Um, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy that likes introductions. So I'm going to start um, uh, with prayer and then we'll, we'll jump into um, the sermon. So let me pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that um, although every Sunday... We gather together on the Lord's Day on Sunday because it is the day that you rose from the grave. That there is also a season in which we know around this time from Palm Sunday until Resurrection Sunday that you spent your last week on earth. And particularly that last night where you went through um, a torturous event. But then you rose victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And... That just has amazing ramifications for us today. And so I pray that as we examine the Bible and as we examine this, this amazing story of your resur- resurrection, <coughs> that you would come now. And Holy Spirit, you can only do this. We, we can't do this. We've, we've prepared. We've um, done a lot of things. But Lord, we can only ask you to do this. Come and grant salvation. God, come and move in the hearts of believers and cause them to explode with worship for you. We pray that as we reflect on this great story of the resurrection, that you would do that this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you're looking at you know, dead trees on, on the uh, stage and you're like, why are there dead trees uh, with coffee filter flowers? Uh, what we did is on Good Friday we had that, but they didn't have the flowers. And so a little bit of symbolism here where we have trees with flowers on it. So that's what we're doing. We're catching some symbolism. And so from the contrast of Good Friday, we reflected on the death. Now we have Jesus is alive. And then we even have a video contrasting the, the, the gospel of all creation with trees as well. So that's, that's kind of the big symbolism in case you're here for the first time. Or if you come all the time, you're like, I still don't get the trees. Um, that's what's going on. Um, so we're in 1 Corinthians 15. Before we, we start, though, I want to I kind of help us understand that um, 2,000 years ago, Easter... Sunday did not start the same way it starts for us. It didn't start out with candy. It didn't start out with us finding seersucker um, jumpers to put on our little sons. It didn't start with pastel dresses to put on our little girls and white shoes. It didn't start with parents trying to frantically hide Easter eggs around their houses. Um, Instead, 2,000 years ago, this particular Sunday that we celebrate of resurrection started with great uncertainty. Great uncertainty. The followers of Christ um, had spent the better part of Friday watching their Savior, whom they followed around for for at least three years, die on a cross and then be be buried. It says, as as we were going through Good Friday, we were reading kind of the accounts of John 18 and 19. And it finishes finishes in John 19.42 saying, tells us that they laid Jesus in the tomb on Friday. And for everything that they thought, This guy we've been following around is dead now. So um, Easter began where the followers of Jesus were feeling absolutely defeated and confused. And then on John 20, um, the very next chapter, there's good news. So 
We start Saturday, and we go through all, all day Saturday, nothing. And we're just thinking, this must be it. Sunday, nothing. And then, but chapter 20 of John opens up with, with kind of a new hope, a new glimmer. And this is what it says. And it'll be on the screen behind me. John 20, verse 1 and 2, A. Um, just the first three words of, of, 20, of verse 2 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. This was a lady that followed around Jesus her entire life. She had been changed by Christ. And she came to the tomb the next week, which was a customary thing. There were preparation for the body. They wouldn't do it on Saturday. She was coming to finish those things and, and mourn because the guy that she'd been following around and loved um, that had treated her like no other person had treated because she was a prostitute had come there. And all of a sudden when it says she comes there, it says it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, this was not something to be expected. We know that it's not something to be expected because of the next three words. So she ran. You're not running if this is an expectation that something as normal has happened. So she's come up and she sees a couple things. Number one, the door of this grave is rolled away. And that is a huge deal. Automatic first thought, somebody's taken his body. We don't know what's going on, but somebody, somebody's taken his body. And we know that this is an, an unexpected thing. And this is a huge deal to her because Mary starts sprinting. She turns into Usain Bolt and is headed back to, to the people. And she's like, I got to tell everybody something's not right. We at least got to find his body and give him the proper burial. Something's big has happened. Now, if we look at the same story in Luke 24, um, when you get to verse six, there's a huge verse there that gives us a little insight. And we don't have tons of time because I also have to get into 1 Corinthians 15. But what happens is they find out that Jesus isn't here. No one took him. But what has happened, the most unexpected thing, is that this man has actually been raised from the dead and is alive now. And so that is a huge, huge but in the Bible where it says, but he has risen. Something very, very unique has happened. Now, there had been other times where people had been resurrected from the dead. We know as you read through the Bible, Jesus resurrected from the dead, but Jesus's resurrection was quite unique because when Lazarus was raised from the dead or Eutychus, you know, the guy that fell out of the third story window when he was raised from the dead, because we would all cuss too if we fell out the third story window, Paul went up and raised him from the dead. But what happened is after he fell out of the third story window and he was resurrected, Lazarus and Eutychus or whoever else, they died again. But Jesus' resurrection is quite unique. When he was resurrected, he never died again. And he still is alive right now. When we say Jesus is alive, we're not just kind of saying he resurrected from the dead, but he died again. No, that one resurrection, he is alive now forever. So his resurrection is quite unique. And he's, because he's never died again, it has massive implications for us that a man who is God, who resurrected from the dead and has never died again, when we look at those historical facts, and I'm going to show us some historical facts just in case those are things you never heard before. When we look at that, we say, this is an amazing story. This, is, this has got to mean something for me. This doesn't just mean this is a neat story that I hear and whenever the Christians get together, they talk about it. It's like, that's all good. So we need to have Easter bunnies and eggs. That's not, that's not what the point that they're trying to point us to. These gospel writers certainly didn't know anything about Peter Cottontail. They weren't trying to point us to Easter. They were trying to say the fact that this man died and rose again has huge implications for everyone that's alive ever. And so the resurrection actually has profound meaning for us today. So um, what I want us to start thinking about then is, okay, if that's really true, if Jesus came back alive and never died again, what I want you to see here is that it actually has profound meaning on us today. Profound meaning. Let me, uh, 
let me quote a great theologian and also Grammy Award winner and Christian rapper by the name of Lecrae. He says this, if he's truly raised to life, then this news should change your life. If he's truly raised to life, then this news should change your life. And by his grace, you can put your foot. No, I won't do it. So anyway, um, I love that song. My son loves it. Like every time we get in the car, he's like, play it again, dad. Like 20 minutes, I've heard it at least seven times. Um, But the the truth of that is true. If if Jesus Christ, if this isn't just a fairy tale story, but this is real and he's truly raised to life, then this news, this news of a resurrected Savior who said he was God and man, then it should change my life. Believer or not, every one of us, when we hear that, should automatically think to ourselves, we should have a changed life because of this. And so what I want to do today is to tell you what are the things that the resurrection, because of the resurrection of Jesus, what are the things that should have profound effects on your life? Um, Paul answers this question for us, which is, why does the resurrection matter? Why is this such a unique story, not just for those guys back then, but for me as well? So what I want you to see today here is what are the benefits of, of or um, what were the enemies that were defeated at the resurrection and what are these things for us today? We're going to get to that first, but as I promised, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 and I want to I get us into Paul's line of thinking. So we're going to eventually start at 50, but what I want you to do is just track with me until we get to 50. We're going to do 50 verses really fast. Um, Paul starts this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 with what's known as the gospel. The gospel just means good news. And so we ask, what is this good news? It's the good news that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. That's, that's what it means. The, the word euangelion, good news. So it says this, um, 15.1, Paul's writing to these people that are, that are Corinthians, and he tells them what the gospel is. It's in verse 3 and 4. But starting at verse 1, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preach you. So we know that this message, this good news, must be believed in order to be saved by Jesus. What is this, good, this message? What is this good news? It says it right there in three. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, what I believed. And here it is. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. We're going to talk about this in just a second. But we all can recognize that we are sinners. We all can recognize that there is a deep down yearning, inside of us that just grows and there's a need to say, I need to be forgiven for this. That's why we try to make, um, make things right when we sin against others. We have this deep thing inside of us that says, justice demands that I make this right. Christ died for our sins. And then it says this, in accordance with the scriptures, because it had been said in the Old Testament it was going to happen, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so that's the gospel. That is the good news. This is the message of the, the um, saving message for, for Christians is that Jesus Christ died for us. Now, for those of you that might be a little bit skeptical about the fact that this is a real historical fact, I don't think, yeah, it sounds a little crazy. This man didn't really raise from the dead. That doesn't happen. He, let's look at the historical facts that are going to be laid out for us here. Um, and and I'll, I'll help you see why this isn't just something they made up. It says in verse 5, after this, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, Then to the 12. So he appeared to the 12 disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers in this resurrection time. Because he eventually ascended to heaven. So he was there for a little bit of time on earth. And he he, he appeared to 500 people. Most of them are still alive. As Paul was writing this this letter to the Corinth, he's saying most of them are still alive right now. As I'm writing this, though some have fallen asleep, meaning that they've died. So this, this is what we're hearing here. 
We know that this is an actual true statement that Jesus really rose from the dead because when it happens, you've got 512 and then another guy, James, 13, 513 people walking around saying, yes, I've seen him. I know that he died. I was, I was aware of that. I saw the dead body. I was part of experiencing or knowing that he was, a, he was dead. We went there. He wasn't there. And now here he is. He looks different. There's a resurrected body, but he's alive now. Now, 500 people. It's quite a bit. This isn't just one or two people making this up. We have recorded history here that 500 people said that they saw this. And here's the, here's the kicker, okay? Um, saying this meant death. Saying this meant persecution. So they're not just saying it just to try to perpetuate a story they think is neat. In order to say this, they are, they are saying, yes, I saw it. He was resurrected. Therefore, now I know that persecution is going to come to me. So you don't do that unless these things are true. So now we're seeing here that this is, this is true. Now, whether you want to do something with that, we're going to talk about what it means. But for those that might be skeptics, which is good, we want to answer your questions. Um, but this is true. We know that more than 500 people are walking around saying, he is alive. He, he was dead, and now he's alive. And we're willing to say that even if it means that we're going to die. And certainly, many of those that followed Christ did die. And so that gives us strong evidence that this man actually really died, as it says in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was raised. And so since this is true, that this man actually was raised from the dead, which none of us has ever seen, but if this is true, then the fact that that happened and he never died again, when we look at that, we have to ask the question, that's, that's a big deal. That's not just a, a, a random you know, fairy tale. I need to understand how that has profound effects upon me as a person in 2013 or any person, Christian or non. I need to know what are the profound effects of that onto me. And that's what I want to do today. So um, after that, we get to verse 12, verse 12 through verse 34. Paul kind of in this little section uh, says basically, um, well, if Jesus uh, didn't really raise from the dead, which he did, but if he didn't really raise from the dead, then life is basically just meaningless. And he says in verse 32, eat, drink, and marry for tomorrow we may die. If Jesus didn't really resurrect from the dead, the most logical thing you can do is just have a huge party for the rest of your life. But he says, in, in fact, Christ did resurrect from the dead. So we shouldn't do that. Because he raised, re- resurrected from the dead, we should have a changed life and live with meaning and purpose. And then after that, from 35 to around 49, that little section, he says, the purpose is ministry. And the ministry, Paul says, that he has, has purpose. I'm going, to, I'm going to continue in this ministry. It is actually a real livelihood of real ministry. And, I'm, and there's a reason that I, I'm going to do this. Um, because he is resurrected from the dead, it is worth it to live this life as a Christian. And we know that from 2 Corinthians 5, everybody that's in Christ, if you're a believer, you're now a minister. A minister isn't just a guy that stands up here and talks through the Bible, and puts on a microphone on Sundays. Everybody that's a Christian, 2 Corinthians 5 says, you're now, everyone, a minister of reconciliation, a servant of reconciliation. You go and you tell people how to be reconciled back to God. So, and, and what Paul's saying here is once you do that, your life has meaning and purpose, and it's worth it because the resurrection is crew, true. He grounds all of that, and, and he grounds all of that in the resurrection. And so that brings us up here to... Uh, Chapter 15, verse 15. I told you we'd get there pretty fast. Um, So what I want you to do here is we're going to see the three enemies that God gives us victory over because of Christ's resurrection. These are the three benefits, if you're in Christ, that everyone gets because of the resurrection of Jesus. 
So let's read verse 50 and we'll get down to it. Um, just to give you a heads up, because there's maybe some confusing language in this, this 50 through 55. He's going to start talking about perishable and imperishable. And what he's doing is he's talking about, when he says perishable, he's talking about our physical body that we have. And he's saying that physical body is going to die. Every, 100% of us are going to pay taxes and die. Like, we don't have any question, right? Um, and now, anyway. So, um, <laughs> and not, when he starts talking about imperishable, what he's saying is, even though we're all going to die physically, in the, imper- in the perishable body, if you're in Christ, you're going to receive what's known as an imperishable body. This is the spiritual body, and we will live forever with Christ. And he's going to start talking about that in 50. Look what it says. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. This physical body won't just go to heaven by itself. Something has got to happen. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He's going to say this twice, so we need to clue in. How are we going to change? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. People are dying physically, but when, when Christ comes, they're going to be raised imperishable. This perishable physical body is going to change to a spiritual body, much like Christ's resurrected body. And that is what can inherit, inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what can go into heaven. And it says, for the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, that's when the physical body puts on that final spiritual body that can go live in heaven with Christ forever. Um, Then what's said in this saying that is written will come to pass. And then it says here, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death. I'm sorry, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. So let's stop here. Um, what I want us to see in this particular text, specifically in verses 55 and 56, are the three enemies that God gives us victory over. And we can see victory right there in uh, the little saying there, the last word of verse 54, that we have victory. The first victory, or the first uh, thing that is defeated for us is death. We've called this sermon today the death of death. And when you hear that, you're like, that sounds weird, death of death. And you're like, some of y'all had the invitations, you're inviting people to Easter. Come to Easter, the death of death. And they're like, am I this, what? Is this creepy? Is this a weird church? No, what we're saying is this is actually really good news. It's the death of death. Death is what kills us all. And we're saying Jesus' resurrection, that thing that kills us, Jesus came and put it to death it is now dead, therefore we are alive. So this is a, a, a great message that's happening here. So the first enemy that is killed is that death is defeated. When Christ died, he put to death, death by his death. I mean, that's crazy, right? I confused you, I know, but I'm not confused. I'm really saying things that make logical sense here. Um, but let's just talk about this first thing because I think that we all sometimes, when we think of death, the, it's, it's uncertain. We think about physical death, and we're talking about spiritual death. Don't, we don't want to confuse the two. Um, death is a scary thing. And um, like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still scared to death of certain things here. We might have, some of you might be scared to death. I'm scared of, every time I walk out to my mailbox, I have a plaguing fear that, that comes on to me. This might sound irrational to you, but every time I walk out to my mailbox, whenever I'm opening it up, and stick my hand in to get my mail, I'm afraid that there's going to be a snake in there that is going to jump out and bite me. And so every time, I, I know it seems irrational, but we all have these fears. And so every time I go up to it, I actually open it, and I back up, and I look in there first. And then I, listen, if one of y'all put a snake in my mailbox, I'm telling you what, 
I will freak out. My neighbors are here. Y'all going to scare me to death. Um, but, um, but my point is, is that we all have fears, right? And I think that it's a rational fear to fear death because it's unknown. But we're not talking about physical death here. Um, we're talking about spiritual death. We don't have to have any fear of death anymore. We, we died spiritually whenever we sinned. But now, because of the resurrection, we've made alive spiritually. And because we've been made alive spiritually, for those that are Christians, we can join with Paul here and start trash-talking death. Look what he says here. He says, um, Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? This is like the ultimate trash-talk of Paul. And this is, this is good. Like, you think, can you do that? I, I think so. Um, Paul is so pumped about this. He's looking at death and he starts trash talking. Now, I grew up playing some sports. Um, I, know it, I know that comes as a sh- big shock to y'all, um, but I did. I played a little bit. I wasn't very good um, at a lot of things, but like, I was always small and blah, blah, blah. But um, there was one thing I learned whenever we were playing sports, and this is it. When I knew the victory was ours, then I could start trash talking, Right? scoreboard. That's all I had to say. Once we knew, scoreboard, you can say anything you want. And so here's what's going on. Um, here's what Paul's doing. The exact same thing. When Paul knew the victory was ours, what does he start doing to death? He starts trash talking death. Where's your sting? Where's your victory? You got nothing. Now, I, I've never necessarily been stung by anything terrible. Um, <laughs> I've avoided it. One time in my backyard, I didn't say this first service. This is funny. I was going to do it, but I decided not to for time. But we got plenty of time here. So um, there was, a, there was in, my, in my backyard growing up, there was this really, really high bird's, uh, bird's house that my parents had put up there. And they're in the room. They're going to hear this. So my friends and I went around and we took, started taking rocks and we were chunking it at the, uh, at the bird's thing. I don't know why. But there were no birds in it, but there were wasps in it. So all of a sudden, wasps, I mean, just flew out. And they started attacking us. And all I had to do was just be the fastest. That's all I had to do. As long as I was not third or second, I was good. So I took off and they got stung and I didn't. So I have no idea what it feels like to be stung. But I still think, my point is, is I still think that we can join Paul here and say, I've never been stung yet, but you have no say-so over me, death whatsoever. And we can join Paul and start trash-talking death. Now, this is what I mean when I say this. Um, Because Paul knows he has the victory he commences to trash talk. And as we as Christians, this is what I might, what we're saying. So this is what it means. We might die physically, but that's it. Because we're in Christ, we will spiritually never die. But spiritually, I, you who are in Christ, will never die. Jesus' resurrection has absolutely secured the victory for us. And we can just start yelling scoreboard to death, which is cross. Look at the cross. You got nothing anymore. Death. You are dead. And so there lies right there, dead on the battlefield, is death. That's the first enemy that has been defeated for us who are in Christ. Now, this next one is my absolute favorite. Not only has death been defeated, the next one is sin has been defeated. You can see it right there in 55 and 56. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. Sin has been defeated. Sin is quite seductive. She is, she is quite seductive. Why are you saying she? It doesn't sound, well, Proverbs 7 calls her a she, so I'm just being biblical. I'm not saying you girls are sinful. We all are sinful. So anyway, um, she, sin, is seductive, and she must be defeated. In order for us to have right relationship with Christ, in order for us to be saved, in order for us to see God, to be with God, live eternally forever, she, sin, must be defeated. 
Well, there's a huge problem. You can't defeat sin. I can't defeat sin. Someone needs to defeat sin for us. But she is quite seductive. How has she seduced you? How has she done this? Um, Let me give you an illustration. And let me just preface my illustration with the fact that this was in a less sanctified time in my life. So whenever I was um, in college, I I went to two different colleges. One was USC, one was Charleston Southern. And I I transferred from USC to go to Charleston Southern to be in ministry. And so when I transferred, it was because God had started really calling me into holiness. And so at that particular point, God blessed that. I met my wife the very first day. I moved to Charleston Southern and wooed her. And within two months, we were dating, and then we got married. But anyway, back to, the, back to the other part where when I was in college, I was a believer, but at this particular time, I hadn't been called into ministry, and there was just some craziness in my life. And so this was maybe a less uh, sanctified time in my life. So one day, we thought it would be hilarious. We all got into this big SUV. We're all in the back seat. We had darkened windows on the side, me and a few other guys. And we had... Water, not, you know, we had water guns, and I don't mean these little squirt things. I mean like those big backpack bazooka things that you can buy that cost like, you know, $80 at Walmart. So when you, when you pull back on the lever, it's like a, a fireman's water hose just shoots out. So we got in there, and it was, it was awesome. And so we get in there, and we had a, uh, a girl that drove for us. At this particular time, I was around 18. We all thought that she was beautiful. Um, but now that I'm married, and I, I met Christy after that now, I know that she's the most beautiful thing, and she, she wasn't. But at that particular time, we all kind of thought she was beautiful. I'm just saying that said at first service, even though she's not here, but this will be on the recording. So anyway, um, uh, so we're in the car and our plan was, listen, I can't remember this girl's name. Our, our plan was we're just driving around downtown in, in, in Columbia. When we, when we see somebody on the side, preferably a college guy, we want you to call them over and say, I'm lost and I have no idea where to go. And they're going to say, oh, let me help you. Like, hey, hey. So they, we pull over there <clears throat> and he walks up to the window. We're in the back and we would roll down the window right when he would get close and we would just unload water on him. You, and I can't, you can't, words can't describe the, the look on their face as they were flooded with water. Now listen, this is less, this is not sanctified behavior, all right? You don't do this. You don't do this. But my point is this. Uh, my whole point is this. How seductive of sin, in that particular instance, it was the pretty face that pulled them in and led to their destruction, which we gave. Um, and the whole, same thing is with sin. Sin is dressed up like a pretty face and pulls us in and she seduces us and then afterwards we're left ruined. Sin is quite seductive, always dressed up to be far more alluring and pretty than what it actually is. And afterwards we realize this was a lie. This was a wretched lie and I was seduced. And when she came in, whenever she seduced you and she came in, when we realize it's a lie, what did she do to you? What, what happened to you and I after we, we gave in to the seduction of this lie of sin? What happened? What happened is what Romans 6.23 says. For the wages of sin, what we've earned, rightly earned, when we sin, the wages of sin is death. We die spiritually. We earn it. It's rightfully given to us. Sin kills us. And so that's why this is my favorite one of all of them, because it's the death of sin, the enemy of sin against us and all her allurements and all her seduction that she has been drawing us in. Christ's defeat of sin guarantees forgiveness of sins for his children. So meaning for us here on earth, when she tries to seduce us, and even if she does while we're still on earth, 
while we're still on earth, we are completely forgiven of our sin. And that complete forgiveness doesn't draw our hearts to do more sin. Instead, because we're forgiven, we're so thankful, we want to live now more holy. We want to sin less. We want to live in a more honoring way for Christ. So that one of the great things about the fact that sin is death, or sin is dead, is that we are com- completely forgiven. The resurrection of Jesus has secured for us complete forgiveness of all of our sin. All of our past sin, all of our present sin, and all of our future sin. All of it has been forgiven. But here's another thing that I think is remarkable about sin being defeated. Because we all live in this, if you're a believer, especially, you're going to know what I'm saying. You live in this weird time now where you've put your faith in Christ, you've been forgiven of your sin, and now you're on the path to going to heaven. But we live in this little period here of 20, 30, 40, 50 years where we're alive. And as Romans 7 says, sin is still working itself out in us. We don't want to sin, but we find ourselves sinning. But here's what it says in Romans. It says that before Jesus, we were slaves to sin. But now that we're in Christ, we're actually slaves to righteousness. Meaning that we are able to give ourselves over completely because of Jesus in the resurrection, over to righteousness, over to holiness, which means this. We do not have to continue sinning. Because sin has been defeated, we don't have to continue sinning. Now, I'm not arguing that we're going to be perfect. Not arguing for perfectionism this side of of, of heaven. I'm saying because God himself, the Holy Spirit, now resides in us and we've been forgiven of our sin, we can um, obey the verses that tell us to put to death the deeds or the sins of the body. I don't want to minimize those verses just because we won't reach perfection now. We certainly can. Unbelievers cannot. Unbelievers that are not in Christ will continue to be slaves to sin. They haven't been saved. But we, although we still will have sin working itself out in us, can actively see sin be put to death. This is why I love this. That is huge good news for me. If you struggle with this, I hate sinning. I hate it. I'm so tired of it. I can't wait to finally be in heaven. What, can, you, can you even conceive when we're in heaven, there'll be a day when there's no impure thoughts. There's no wrong motives. Somebody does something you're like, yeah, well, like that will not happen. We won't be like, yeah, but we'll be so rejoicing. There's a moment when we're finally in heaven and forever where all we do is live 100% holy and righteous because of Christ in us. I can't wait to that. That's what's this huge benefit of the fact that sin is defeated. We won't reach perfection. But sin has been defeated in your life and you are completely forgiven right now and you can see sin be put to death in your life right now. This is, this is remarkable. And so now, not only does death lie dead on the battlefield, the resurrection has also put to death sin for us. Now this third one, this might be a little interesting for you, for some of you, but I want to make sure that we all see this. Um, The third enemy that has been defeated because of Christ's resurrection is religion. It says it here in 56, the the sting of of death, the sin, and the power of sin is the law. And I'm taking this word law, and I'm helping us see that it's religion that has been defeated. And I want to make sure we understand religion, because we hear the word religion, we can just think religion. There's a whole bunch of religions, and you're saying, God just killed a bunch of religions? What? That's not what I'm talking about. When I'm using the word religion, I'm saying law-keeping. I'm saying that 
What has been defeated is the idea or the concept that we, we need to believe that good works are what saves us. Good works don't save you. They cannot save you. And the resurrection shows us, it shows us that good works doesn't save us. There is no great big cosmic God scale where he just looks at all your good works and all your bad works and puts them as like, as long as your good outweighs your bad, you're fine. That's not what we're, that's not at all. He's put to death that idea. And he's saying, anytime you think that you are earning favor with God because of good works, you need to repent of your good works. You need to repent of your good works to think that they save you. Religion has been put to death. And here's why you need to repent of your good works. Because they're not good. They're not good works. What? How is that possible, Fudd? That doesn't even make sense. I did a good thing, and I know that's good. Let me explain to you what I mean. Romans 3, 12 says this. All turn aside. No one does good, not one. So what is good and this is the only good work there is, and it can only be done by Christians. You can do something moral in our society, but anything, this is anything that's not done for the glory of Jesus is sin. No matter what the outward act was, the motive was for the glory of me, and therefore it's not good. And so there is no cosmic scale because all of it would just be bad. And so we need to repent of the idea that we think that we can do enough things that we're finally going to have favor with God. The resurrection blows this whole idea out of the water. It says the resurrection turns the Christian from law keeping, from religion, from thinking that good work saves over to gospel believing. Let's make sure you hear that. The resurrection turns the hearts of people from law abiding, which I'm not saying the law is bad. We'll talk about it in a second, over to gospel believing. In other words, I don't have to do good works because Christ has already done everything for me on the cross. I need to believe that he lived the life that I should have lived and all of his righteousness given to me and all the punishment I should have gotten for my sin was put on him on the cross. And now all I have is right standing with God. And that is procured, that was, is secured, that is grasped by anyone in this room by believing in Christ. That's, that's it. Believe in Jesus that he died for you. Confess your sin and you are saved and you live forever with him. This is the gospel. This is the good news. It changes us from law keeping to gospel believing. Believing that Jesus did it. No longer does self-righteousness and moral attainment and good works rule our heart. But instead a deep abiding trust in the work of Christ rules our heart. The resurrection turns us from trying to earn God's love by good deeds to freely accepting God's love as a gift through faith in Christ Jesus. The resurrection turns um, death, which the law brings, into eternal life, which Jesus Christ purchased and gives to us. That's what the resurrection has done for us. It destroys religion. In that, religion means law-keeping. Now, the law is good, right? As believers, whenever we're living in this, this weird zone I talked about where I don't want to sin, we look to the law and we say, law, what does God want from me? I don't have to keep it in order to be right. But now that I am right, I look to it and I say, those are things that he likes. That's a good guide for me to know how to live my life. I'm not under it, but it surely tells me how to live a life that is honoring to God, that is worshipful to God. So lastly, we see dead on the battlefield, our warrior Jesus Christ killing 
death, sin, and religion. Now, if you hear all this and you say, okay, fun, I'm tracking with you the whole way. You've said that the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, I hear that Jesus died according to the scriptures. I believe that people actually saw him. I believe that the resurrection is true. Why else would 500 people say that? I believe that these three benefits of the resurrection, or these three enemies that were defeated for me are actually true. What do I need to do? What is it that's required of me then, Fudd? Christian or non-Christian or cultural Christian or someone that thinks they're a Christian? What, what do I need to do in response to these things? I need to know. I want to know. So here, let me tell you. For those of you that are not believers in Christ, you would say, I'm not a Christian. Or maybe you're, you're a cultural Christian or you're a Christian in name only. You're kind of wondering, um, this is not stuff I've thought about. I thought I was, but I'm hearing new stuff. I'm hearing that it's not according to my good deeds. It's all according to belief in Jesus. What do I need to do? Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Here's this victory word again. He gives you the victory. Um, through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Jesus, God has given you the victory over death and sin and religion through Christ and in Christ. So what do you need to do? You need to repent from your sin. You need to repent from the idea that you can defeat sin. You can't. She has seduced you and you are dead spiritually. Repent from that and Jesus makes you alive. What else do you need to do? You need to repent from moralism or religion, thinking that good works is what saves me. You repent from that and say, I can't make myself do right things. The Holy Spirit inside of me is what makes me do right things. And Jesus has already declared me righteous by his resurrection. He secured that for me. And so we repent and we turn and we say, I am going to receive my own resurrection from death because Jesus has already secured it and provided it for me today. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Um, I think I've said this. My wife and I have four kids and a fifth one on the way. I know. So um, <laughs> we believe though, obviously, um, children are a blessing from the Lord, right? We love children. And um, when you have this many kids, uh, t- sometimes around 7 p.m., there's an anticipatory feeling that grows within you because 7 p.m. is, is bedtime. And you're like, oh, bedtime, and they're asleep. And so sometimes that didn't happen right away. But we get them in there, and we have this little bit of time where we're like, exhale. And then what happens, and this, this, this happens pretty often. Uh, we just, I mean, we are head over heels in love with our kids. We, we love them so much. And so we'll pull out a picture of them, and I'll, I'll show Christy, um, our, our youngest, she's three. She's quite squishy. And so I'll show her the little picture of her, and I'll like, look at that. And she's like, oh, she's so squishy. I love her. And so we just kind of think... I want to see him again. I need to kiss him right now. I don't want to wake him up, though, because then we're back to mayhem. So no, I'm not going to do that. But every once in a while, if you have a lot of kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, But every once in a while, this little gift from the Lord happens. Around 11 p.m. or so, um, one of them will wake up and come downstairs because they're they're susty. I want some some water. And so um, my wife, who is the Michael Jordan of sleep, doesn't necessarily make it past 11 p.m. most of the times, especially when you're pregnant. It's just like she's out for the count. Um, but I'm a little bit more of a night owl. And so uh, around 11, this even happened last night. Christy has no recollection. She was completely asleep. Michaela, my youngest, walks downstairs and I hear her coming. I know she wants water. I just, we're just used to it. So I go make the water and she comes down. Dad, I, I mean, hair just crazy. Dad, I said, I'm so thirsty. I want some water. So I hand it to her. And this is what she does now every single time. I hand her the water and I just kind of wait and watch. She walks over to the stairs and she stops at the stairs and she just stops there. She never walks up the stairs anymore. And she looks over at me and she says, Dad, carry me to my bed. <laughs> just 
So kind of demanding, you know, carry me to my bed. Um, what is she doing? She's exercising faith based on um, previous knowledge. She's, she knows how ripping strong I am. She knows that I am amazingly strong to be able to pick up this 35-pound child and carry her all the way up the stairs and place her gently into the bed because um, it has been shown to her, don't miss this, it has been shown to her that I have the power to do this. And so now she loves, she just, she trusts it, she loves for her daddy, carry me to my bed. And I come and gladly, gladly, because I'm a father that loves her, I want to display my power in front of her and pick her up and and carry out this request because her faith is based in something true. She knows that her daddy has the power to pick her up and carry her to the bed. And so you're asking, what is my response? I believe all these things. I want to be saved. This is exactly what she does. This is the exact same thing. By the resurrection, because of the resurrection, Jesus has demonstrated to us that he absolutely has the power over death, over sin, over religion, over Satan, over everything, that we can say, save me, Jesus. You have the power to do it. Pick me up. Put my broken life back together. Forgive me of my sin. I repent. And he has the power. And this is a faith grounded in something that's absolutely true. Just like she knows. He can do it. And we say, Jesus, put me back together. Carry me home. And he has the power to do it. That's what you do. You exercise this beautiful childlike faith that is and plant it into you by God and say, save me. My life has fallen apart. My marriage has fallen apart. My kids are falling apart. I've sinned against you. I'm totally aware. I've lived a life up till now. And I'm saying, it doesn't matter what you've done. Paul says, I used to kill Christians. None of you have out sinned, Paul. And he was put back together. And he just lives this amazing life of forgiveness. No one in this room is out of the realm of the forgiveness of Christ. And so what do you do? You say, Jesus, forgive me. And a victory is now yours when you believe in Christ through through Christ. It's yours through Christ. And so we want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. At at the end of this sermon, which is very, very short now coming, um, we're going to have people down front and we're going to have people in the back. And we want to invite you forward or back, whatever you're comfortable with. There'll be people with landers on that say, I can help. And that just means I can help you meet Jesus. <laughs> All right. And we want you to know how to be saved. We'll, we'll pray with you. We want the opportunity to be able to pray with you. So for those of you that are not Christians, you know you're not, or you're kind of Christian name only or cultural Christian. And you know that this is, I've been playing the game and I'm, I'm not a believer. I want eternal life forever. I don't want to suffer the wrath of God eternally. I want to be forgiven forever. Christ is doing something in my heart, awakening me to being forgiven. I want you to know that you can, you can pray with someone right now. We want to be able to talk to you about what it means to be a believer and be forgiven forever. For those of you that are Christians, all right, I want to talk to you for one second because Paul is going to talk to you in verse 58. This is what you need to do. Verse 58, therefore, and when the word therefore is there, we need to say, what's the word therefore? Therefore, and this is why. My beloved brothers, beloved brothers, People that are loved, brothers in Christ. We're talking to Christians here. My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. The first thing that Christians need to do is be steadfast and immovable. All the way back to 15, 1 through 4. In your belief in the gospel. Stand firm, just like he says in verse 2. The first thing that Christians need to do is continue 
to believe the fact that religion and sin and death has been defeated for you. And you keep reminding yourself that. Be steadfast and immovable, grounded in this good news of the gospel that you are completely forgiven in Christ and 100% righteous because of his death, burial, and resurrection. The resurrection has secured that for you. And the second thing that you need to do is right there. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Sometimes this is a convicting verse, right, for Christians? Christians, when you look at your life, is your life categorized by these words? Are you always abounding in the work of the Lord? More than likely, half of us at least would say, no. That's not to condemn you. That's to wake us up. There is therefore no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we hear this, this is meant to encourage us now. I want to abound in the work of the Lord. I want to be immovable. I want to be grounded in this great gospel. And now, because of that, go do and abound the work of the Lord. I don't abound in the work of the Lord in order to have a right standing because I have the right standing. And that is secure and that will never change. Now I want to go abound in the work of the Lord. So Christian, the resurrection, the enemies of Satan, death, religion, sin, lying dead on the battlefield, that Jesus has defeated for us. What we're supposed to do now is go and believe deeply in the gospel and tell people about it. Kill sin in our life. Proclaim this good news. Be ministers of reconciliation. Abound in the work of the Lord. And Paul, in this chapter 15, grounds all of these truths in the resurrection, the day we're celebrating today. So this is a time for all of us now. We're going to have a few songs and there's plenty of time. The Holy Spirit's moving, hopefully, in your hearts. And I want you to know you have plenty of time and you don't need to feel awkward. Christians, if you hear those things, I'm not grounded and I'm not abounding, we'll pray with you. We want, we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Those that aren't Christians, those are Christians in names only, cultural Christians, or you just realize, I hear that, and, and that is, I am not a believer. Front and back, move now. You've got plenty of time. Or find us after the service. Talk to the person you came with. We want to tell you how you can be a Christian today. How you can follow Christ and let the resurrection of Jesus and what it secured be true in your spiritual life and be resurrected and put on the imperishable forever. I'm going to pray and then we'll respond through song and that will be your chance to move. Let's pray. Jesus, We've tried to be as faithful as we can to talk about the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and now we're asking you to do what only you can do. We cannot cause salvation, Lord. You bring it about. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you are going forward right now in the hearts of every single person here and whatever is happening in their heart, that they would be obedient to the Spirit's leading. If they know that they're not a believer and they know they want to be a Christian, Lord, bring them forward, bring them to the back. Let us have an opportunity to pray with them and tell them how they can become a Christian, how they can put their faith in Christ. If, this, if Jesus Christ was truly raised to life, then this news should change our life. I pray for that now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.